How wonderful it is to gather this Easter morning in all the various ways. How different it is from Easter 2020. <laughs> I want to tell you that uh, Sunday last year in the auditorium was just a little bit different. Not quite as crowded. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's completely empty. Except for me and Doug, a couple people on the praise team, been running the lights and sound, those back in the tech room. And uh, I have to tell you, my voice wasn't near as beautiful as yours this morning. And I must also admit that uh, it was a little challenging day, and really when service was over, I honestly just had a king-size pity party, to be honest with you, uh, walking around the empty hallways, empty welcome center, coming back in here, completely empty auditorium, getting ready to walk out to an empty car. And that's when the Lord spoke to my heart. Have you ever had the Lord speak to your heart? It's louder than audible voice. And reminded me that my hope is not in a full church building, but an empty tomb. <laughs> and that's where my joy should be. Because of that living hope we have in Christ. He keeps hope alive, doesn't he? And it's been a difficult year, challenging year, but he has never left us or forsaken us. He is with us. We're so grateful for his strength that he's given to many families in this congregation uh, that have suffered, and I know some here, in various ways, personally and in loss in your family, but the Lord has been faithful, he's been strong, and we celebrate that living hope this morning. I do hope you have that living hope within you. But here's the question this morning. What if you don't? What if you don't have that living hope? What if your hope is limping this morning? What if your hope is weak this morning? What if your hope is on life support? What if it's like someone's hold the plug on your hope and your hope feels like it's dead what then well this morning I want us to listen to a story of hope a story of hope from a man who lost hope I mean completely totally lost hope but the Lord gave him living hope the man's name is called Peter. And I want us to turn to that passage we just read in our text, 1 Peter. And I want you to listen as Peter writes this text. And he writes as someone who is hope-filled. He is a hope-filled man. I want us to follow the life of Peter. A man who had no hope. <laughs> but a man who became filled with hope, and he writes about that hope, and we hear it 
in his voice as we read his words that are given by the Holy Spirit when he says in verse 3 of this passage, writing this letter, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now notice, this, this hope is just pervasive in Peter's life. He, he cannot even hold it back. That, that's, that's the expression here. It's, it comes out like a doxology as he begins the, the letter. Blessed be... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for this living hope. It's pervasive in his life. It's, it's present tense. He's not talking about something in the past. He's not living on past experiences. He's living on the present reality of a living hope. Now, we might pause here just for a moment and make sure we understand the definition of hope, real hope, biblical hope, because that hope's a little different than what we commonly refer to as hope in our society. <laughs> Sometimes we have what I call Jiminy Cricket theology, <laughs> when you wish upon a star. Hope means wish. Hope means it might happen, not sure if it's going to happen, maybe it will happen. That's what we think of the word hope, but that's not the meaning of the word hope in the New Testament gospel sense. Here's what hope means, Christian hope. It means the present experience of a future reality. The present experience of a future reality. It means that you already are experiencing something that you've not fully experienced yet, but you're going to. The down payment is already in your heart. You're already eating and enjoying the harvest that is to come of eternal life, but it's already in your heart, real and alive. It's what the reformers of 400 years ago or so used to call the truth of already but not yet. Isn't that great? Our salvation is already. It's real. It's not make-believe. But it's not yet. Because we're not yet fully delivered from this world from this body of weakness, from this mind that's so corrupted, from the temptations of our own flesh and the temptations of the devil, thank God we will be delivered. It's so definite and real, we're already experiencing in our hearts, already but not yet. Now notice something about hope in Peter's writings here. And we in the 21st century need to listen to this man speaking in the first century. But he's speaking for every century by the inspiration of the Lord. What's he tell us about hope? He says this, 
Hope is not determined by current circumstances. You know what the theme of 1 Peter is? The theme of this letter is suffering. He says, now you must experience, if it is necessary, sufferings for the cause of Christ. The whole letter is about suffering, but the whole letter is filled with hope. Why? Because hope is not determined by your circumstances. Now think about Peter. When he writes this letter, he is a marked man. He's a marked man. He's an elderly man living in Rome. Probably not in prison yet, but he's going to be in prison shortly. And the government already has... It's eye upon him as one of the leaders of a sect called the Christians. The party of Christ. Followers of Christ. He's one of their leaders and all of them are suspect because they refuse to pledge allegiance to the empire and the emperor. They will not say Caesar is Lord because Lord to them is Jesus Christ. And they're suspect because of that. And Peter, as a leader, is a marked man. And Peter is a marked man living in a miserable world. A miserable world. Friends, listen. The world in which Peter lived and those early Christians lived, pandemic was daily life. And we must remember for Millions and billions of people around the world, every day is pandemic. They lived in a pandemic, a health pandemic. Do you know what the average life expectancy was in the first century? The average life expectancy was 35 years. Why? Because 33% of the children never made it to their teenage years. You were considered a quite elderly person if you lived into your 50s, maybe your 60s. Life was a health pandemic, but hope is alive. Life in the first century, listen church, was the ultimate cancel culture. The ultimate cancel culture. A government of despotism. A government completely anti-God. A government in which there was no such thing as personal liberty. A government ruled over by a madman named Nero. The vast majority of the population, listen carefully, the vast majority of the population in the first century lived under national subjugation by the legions of Rome. Most people were kept captive nationally by the power of Rome. And probably at least 50% of the people were personally enslaved. They were slaves. And yet, in that world of health pandemic and complete cancel culture, Peter is exalting and exalting 
a living hope. And that hope has not changed in 2,000 years, right? That hope is still alive. Now, how can this man have such a living hope? How can this man have such a living hope? Now, listen carefully. He can have such a living hope because there was a time in his life when he was completely hopeless. Hopeless. I want you to see this hopeless man. We're going to follow his story just for a few minutes. And if you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn back to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have them, we'll show the text on the screen here. I want you to see that this man who's rejoicing in hope, living hope, was a man who one time had all of his hope extinguished. Not a flicker of a flame of hope in his heart. Here's how it happened. The Gospel of Luke tells us about it. Verse 54 of chapter 22 and following. Listen carefully. Then they seized him, that is Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Listen to this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. The phrase there means he sobbed uncontrollably. He found a place and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Now what a tragic and sudden plunge for Peter. Just shortly before this, he had had such self-promoting confidence so self-promoting, though everyone else denies you, Lord, I never will. No, not me. And now here he is in self-protecting cowardice. He can't even confess Jesus to a servant girl. What a downward spiral that night. Did you notice this downward spiral? Notice, down, down, down. Where does this night begin? It begins 
with Peter and the other disciples running away in fear. And then you see Peter following at a distance. He, he's, he's following Jesus, but he's in the shadows. He, he's not going to go public. And then he's warming his hands at the fire with the very people who just arrested his master. And then, in the midst of those enemies of his Lord, when he is asked on three occasions, he denies him. And we're told more fully that he even cursed and took an oath to God that he did not know this man. All hope. At that moment, the words of that denial had just gone out of his mouth. It all came crashed down. All that hope came crashing down around Peter at the crowing of a rooster. Just as his master had said. But then it, Luke alone tells us this. And Jesus standing there. in the courtyard, turns and looks at Peter. Now, can you imagine that moment? You have just cursed and sworn. You have just taken an oath before God that you do not know this man, your dearest friend, your master, and the words go out of your mouth, the rooster crows, and then your Lord looks at you. It could be that this morning that gaze of the Master is in some of our hearts today. Because we've been running away from our allegiance to Him. We've been following afar off. Some of us perhaps have been warming our hands at the enemies of God. Maybe some of us, if not in word, but in example, even denying that we have anything to do with him. That could be the case this morning. Peter is totally broken. I mean, he is devastated. Friends, listen carefully to me. It is a miracle of God that Peter even survived this. He is completely devastated. The hours for the rest of that night, he is sobbing, guilt wretched, gut splitting sobs of brokenness and remorse. And the sun comes up and he finds out his master has been condemned and he has denied him. The next day, he continues to cry, and somehow in his grief, he can't bear to stay back. He makes his way to Calvary, and he actually sees his master nailed to the cross. He tells us that in 1 Peter that we read from earlier, he says, I was an eyewitness of his sufferings. We don't know when, but Jesus, as he was dying on that cross... Had this man who had denied him come and look upon him. 
broken over what he had done to his master. And at 3 p.m., when Jesus died, all hope died for Peter. In him, all hope died. Again, we can't imagine utter hopelessness engulf this man. All Friday afternoon, all Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Saturday night, but then came Sunday, right? Then came Sunday, and Peter, this hopeless man, can you get more hopeless than this? On that Sunday morning, this morning, all those years ago, this hopeless man became a hope-rescued man. A hope-rescued man. And he was rescued by two words. Two words. Saved this man from hopelessness and rescued him. What are those two words? Well, you can listen to the two words if you turn to the Gospel of Mark. Turn back just a few pages. The Gospel of Mark. Mark tells us about the resurrection of Jesus. But Mark includes something that no one else says. Mark is telling the story from Peter's point of view. It's important for you to remember when you read Mark. You're reading the, the Bible from Peter's point of view, according to the most ancient Christian writers. What does Mark tell us? He says this in verse 6. The angel speaks to the women. He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But now listen to this. The angel says to the ladies who had come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch the two words? Go tell his disciples and Peter. <laughs> Go tell his disciples and Peter. Do not forget Peter. Go tell his disciples and Peter doesn't think he's still a disciple. He doesn't think the term applies to him any longer. Who has sinned like his sin? Other than Judas who betrayed him. Who has denied him like he has denied him? He feels like anything but a disciple. And the angel is given a commandment from Jesus himself. Tell those witnesses that I am alive and don't you Dare to forget to tell Peter. Now that's the Polson paraphrase. But that's the idea. Go tell his disciples and Peter. 
He had denied the Lord. But what is the wonderful truth? The Lord hadn't denied him. He had denied the Lord, but the Lord had not denied him. Why? Because the love of Jesus is deathless. Jesus died. And I think sometimes we need to let that sink in. He died. He was dead. He wasn't partially dead. He was totally dead. Completely dead. His heart stopped beating on Friday afternoon. But on Sunday morning, his heart started beating again. And when his heart started beating again, it was filled with the love for his people for whom he died. And his heart was still full of love for Peter. You see, the love of Jesus is a deathless love. He died for all sins. He died for his people. He died for Peter's denial. And he said, now you go tell my disciples and Peter. My friend, listen. Listen carefully. Jesus still loved Peter even though Peter hated himself. Jesus still loved Peter even though Peter hated himself. And my friend, that is hope. When you hate yourself, your hate is not as great as the love of Jesus Christ. Imagine. Can you imagine when Peter heard those words that the angel had conveyed? Go tell my disciples and Peter. Me? Me? Yes, you. The Lord wants you to know he's alive. Now, we're not told when Jesus personally met with Peter, but you know, if you study your Bible carefully, you'll see that Jesus met personally with Peter. We're told that by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, and we're told that by Luke in chapter 24, verse 34. Sometime on Sunday, the Lord Jesus came and personally met with Peter. What he said to him, we do not know. So sacred and personal, it's not even recorded in Scripture. But the Lord Jesus sought out the disciple who had denied him. And confirmed his love for him. And brought him face to face. Yes, with his sin, but brought him face to face with his Savior. And you know what the Lord is doing here this morning? What he's doing by way of this message online, he is coming to some people. <laughs> and face to face, yes, yes, in love, he's confronting you about your denial of him. But why does he do that? Because he wants you to know he's not denied you. And hope is alive in him. 
Peter was a hope-rescued man. His sin forgiven, his faithlessness forgiven. But what about his future? Okay, Lord, you've taken care of my past, even my recent past. But what about my future? Well, I want you to turn to one other scene in the end of John, John chapter 21, and you'll see that Peter is a hope-restored man. A hope-restored man. John chapter 21, we read about this. The angel told his disciples, he will meet you in Galilee. If you read carefully the accounts of the resurrection, and we know that Jesus appeared to the ladies at the tomb. Then we're told that he appeared to Peter sometime. Then he appeared also on that day to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Then he appeared that night to ten of his disciples, including Peter. But Thomas wasn't there and said he wouldn't believe. And a week later he appeared to all of the disciples, including Thomas. And he directed the disciples, go back to Galilee. Go home. And the disciples went back to Galilee. And in Galilee, perhaps it was the familiar scenes of Galilee. Perhaps it was the rhythm of life around the Sea of Galilee. Where Peter had lived all of his life. Maybe all of that was just drawing Peter back. Drawing Peter back. How can he go forward? Yes, the Lord is resurrected the Lord has forgiven me but how can I go forward I'm going to go back and he says I'm going fishing and when he says I'm going fishing he's not just talking about going out on the lake drowning a few worms popping a few tops no he's going back to, to his old life I'm going back to the way things were before I don't have a future that I once had. How could a man like me, even though Jesus is alive, how could I have a future that I once had? Well, Peter's been restored to his master, but guess what? He needs to be restored to his master's mission because the Lord called him on a mission. Peter has another idea. He says, I'm going to go backward. I'm going back to fishing. And you know the story. They went out there, seven men. They fished all night, fished all night. And how much did they catch? Nothing. And along about sunrise in the misty fog, a stranger on the shore asked the question no fisherman wants to be asked if he hasn't caught anything. What's he ask? Have you caught anything, fellas? Uh, no. <laughs> and then the last thing a fisherman wants anybody to tell him is to give directions. Now you really don't like this guy. And he's telling you, standing on the shore, what you should be doing in the boat and you've been fishing all of your life. Cast your net on the other side. They were so desperate for something they cast again and here's what happened John 21 verse 15 we're told that as that net came up it was just 
teeming with fish. It's teeming with fish. <laughs> then John sees all these fish coming up in a, the net. And he thinks, hmm, I've, I've seen this before. <laughs> and then in a moment of revelation, he says to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. <laughs> God bless Peter. How impulsive a man he is. He doesn't wait for the boat to get to shore. He just jumps in, starts swimming to his master, sets the record for the 100 yards freestyle. That's in the Greek. You've got to dig that out. It's in there. But now, what happens on the shore? When they had finished breakfast, because Jesus had breakfast ready for them. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's he mean? You love me more than anybody else? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I'm devoted to you. That's the idea. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Fishermen, <laughs> you're going fishing? No, 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 no. <laughs> You're going to be a shepherd. Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I'm devoted to you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, are you really devoted to me? And Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time. Why? He knows why he's being asked three times. Because he's denied him three times. He asked him a third time. Are you devoted to me? And you can hear the anguish out of this man's heart. Lord, you know everything. You know that I'm devoted to you. And Jesus said, feed my now, do you see what the Lord's brought together here in restoring Peter? He brings together what? A catch of fish. Where was Peter converted? He was converted, as far as we would describe conversion, in a boat when this great catch of fish came up at the command of Jesus and he was overwhelmed at the fact that it was the Lord God in the boat with him and he fell at his feet and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. He confessed him as Lord in that boat three years ago. Now the boat is back. What else is back? The shoreline. What happened on the shoreline? What did Jesus say? Jesus called Peter to become a fisher of men. Not a fisher of fish, a fisher of men. So here they are back where he's been called. And now where are they? At a charcoal fire. What's happened at a charcoal fire? Just a few nights earlier at this charcoal fire like this, Peter has collapsed in his faith. So the Lord brings it all together the symbol of his conversion, the place of his call, and the very site 
at a charcoal fire of his collapse. And the Lord says, now it's time for the conversation. And what does the Lord want to talk about? Now listen in right now. What's so important here is what Jesus did not say to Peter. He did not say, Peter, are you sorry? Are you sorry, sorry? Are you sorry, sorry, sorry? He did not say, Peter, will you never do this again? Will you never, never do this again? Peter, will you never, never, never do this again? No. What does the Lord ask him? One thing. Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Because, Peter, if you love me, then you can serve me. But if you don't, Love me, you can't serve me. What Jesus wants to ask us this morning, my friend, listen. What he's asking you and asking me, not are you a churchgoer. He's not asking you if you're really sorry, 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 sorry. And you promise never, 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 ever do it again. Because that just will guarantee your defeat. What he wants to know right now, in your heart of hearts, do you love me? Are you devoted to me? My friend, that is what it means to know Christ. It's to be, know that you're loved by him and love him back. That's what it is all about what's a new birth what is it to be born again when you know by God's grace you're loved by Jesus and because of God's grace you love him back that's what it means to be a Christian to be loved by Jesus and because of that love to love him back oh that's life See, it was the question for the present that determined his future. My friend, listen. Don't go back to your past to determine your future. Right now is what determines your future. This moment, this day, right here, right now, right now determines your future. And here's how it's determined. Jesus asks you, do you love me? And from your aching heart and your weak heart, you can say, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. (laughs) And my friend, you're qualified. But you can go to church all your life and not love Jesus. And then you're disqualified. You want to change your future? Then answer this question right now. Do you love Jesus? Will you love Jesus? It's how it's determined. Do you love Jesus? Will you love Jesus? And this Peter became a hope-sharing man. (laughs) How long did it take for Peter to be restored? Did he have to go through years of counseling? Did he have to go through years of recovery? No. Instantaneous, complete. What did the Lord say? Feed my sheep. 
Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. You're restored. Now follow me. And Peter started sharing that hope. As a matter of fact, you want to know how Jesus can share, change a person who's hopeless? You know how quickly you can be changed? You go from being hopeless through meeting Christ, your hope in His love and His death for your sin, His deathless love, even when you hate yourself, He loves you. What's the result of that? Well, look at Peter. Just a few days later, he's standing before thousands and he's testifying of the one he denied to a servant girl. What does that? Love of a living Savior with a living hope transformed by His grace in your heart that He loved you and gave Himself for you. And you're not serving Him because He might get you. You are serving Him because He's got you. And you will share. And you will live in that hope in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of government oppression, in the midst of suffering, Yet in your heart, hope is alive. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And your hope is just a foretaste of what is to come. The reality. I ask we bow our heads just for a moment, please. Our heads are bowed. I thank you for your attention this Easter morning. But I would beg of you just for a moment more. Dear friend, now Jesus has come. He is... He is Moved into your presence, even if you're out there by viewing by video. He's come. He's speaking. He's come to you now. He sought you out. And here you are this morning, not by accident, but by appointment. And it might be that you are hopeless. Oh, friend, Jesus is living hope. He knows all about it. He knows what you've done. He knows your failures. He loves you. He gave himself for you. How can I know that my sins are forgiven? Look to Jesus, who before you were born, knowing all about you, died in your place, took your sin, paid in full the price, and he's alive. He loves you to seek and to save those who have no hope. He will give you hope today, my friend. Look to Jesus. And now some disciples here. There's some disciples here. You've been far off. Maybe you've been in the shadows. Maybe you've been warming your hands by a worldly fire. Maybe you've even denied the Lord in word or deed. But Jesus loves you. You may hate yourself, but Jesus loves you. Oh, don't fight the one whose fists aren't clenched. His arms are open. Lord, I pray. I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus, you rose from the dead. And you live to give living hope. 
And Lord, I pray that hope will come alive in hearts and lives today. I pray that hearts that have felt no hope for a long time, they will sense that hope, that hope is in Jesus. Lord, I ask that you'll come and may their eyes be on you, Lord Jesus, not looking to their past, but looking into your face, trusting for the future. Lord, bring hope in Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting because of pain in various ways. Lord, may their hope be in Christ. Lord, you know what only you can do. We don't even know how to ask, but you know what we need. Meet needs today. And we thank you for what you're doing in this moment. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And God's people said, Amen.